Welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grun. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basic, by examining the Word of God and especially the example of the book of Acts Church to see how the early church served the Lord. By delving deeper into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence that the early church had. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is on going the fire of the upper room still burns if you have any questions go to firefalltalkradio.com use the contact button or you can write us directly at the porch lowercase one word at firefalltalkradio.com you'd like to support us there are ways to do so go to the firefall talk radio homepage. we appreciate your support and encouragement welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms remember we can always be found on apple podcast Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Welcome. Welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grand. This is where, as it says, we get back to basics. Excuse me. And that's what we're going to do. We're really going to get back to basics tonight. But as always, we start out praise reports and prayer requests. If you don't want to be a part of that, go to the sound of the second shofar. If you do and you'd like to send them in, you can go to firefalltalkradio.com, use the contact button, or you could write us directly at the porch lowercase one word, at firefalltalkradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. So we're starting out with praise reports. I always praise them for my salvation, because without that, I don't have my home. I don't have my wife. I don't have my sons, daughter-in-law, grandsons. I don't have anything. The furry kids we've had over all these years, nope, don't have them. My salvation is where everything begins. So I praise him for that, and I praise him for all those other things which he gave back to me. I praise him for his provision and his protection over each and every one of us. It's always there. Whether you believe it or not, whether you feel it or not, it's always there. For the dreams and the visions as we live out Joel 2.28, I praise him for his healing virtues and his divine health and his promises in that regard. But as we all know, sometimes things happen in this world. You have to deal with stuff and you deal with it with him. I praise him for his abiding divine favor, for the continuing revelation of the Holy Spirit, for each and every one of us being new creations living in these prophetic times. And because of that, you better know how to pray. So I start out always by praying for the peace of Jerusalem May they prosper who love you, Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for Israel. I pray for our Jewish brothers and sisters. I pray for their safety and protection, their leadership. Pray for our leadership, too. You know, we're told to pray for them. We're not told how to pray. So you need to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit on how to pray for them. But I do. I pray that God would be glorified and that he would do what needs to be done to get America back on track. I pray for all the people around the world being victimized by their leaders. More and more the cover is coming off and people are seeing the truth that they are preparing for a new world order. A new world order that does not serve or submit to the living God and does not submit to Yeshua, Jesus. I pray for the fatherless and the widows, the persecuted and the martyred, the innocent, the poor in spirit, and those who are victims of injustice. I pray against the slaughter of the innocents, both in and out of the womb, both human and animal. I say it every day. My wife can tell you. I am constantly grieved by how bad stewards we have been of his creation. I'm praying for those missing and exploited children, the victims of human trafficking, sex trafficking, a satanic, diabolical endeavor that I pray against each and every day, and I hope you do too. Pray for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith, 
that religious persecution, the anti-Semitism, the attributes of the Antichrist that have been around for a very long time, but I see them more and more, more clearly every day. Praying for divine wholeness, health, and healing in each and every one of us. We're all dealing with something, so remember to pray. Pray for the members of the porch community if you know them by name. Pray for them just as members of the porch community. If you are sick or injured or hurting right now, I pray for you. I speak to you and I bless you in the name of Yeshua. I pray his healing virtues upon you, inside out, that he would heal you, heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Pray for his divine protection and inspiration. Some days are more difficult than others to keep going. That's where the Holy Spirit encourages you and helps you. I pray always for the remnant. I pray for them to be awake and to be alert, and those that are being awakened to come forward and to do what they've been called to do. Praying for the open doors for all the projects and plans that he's given, for kingdom finances to flow for kingdom business. There's things to do individually, corporately, the porch, firefall, SRT, so many things to do. And then we need the blessings. I pray that you join with us in that regard. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify your name. We magnify your name. There is no other name. No other name in heaven and earth by which we can be saved. Yeshua. Jesus, salvation, the only begotten Son of God. We pray you'd encompass us, that you would surround us, that your glory would shine down upon us, Father. We love you. You loved us when we were unlovable. You saved us when you didn't have to. You did it because you wanted to. You did it out of love. You sent Yeshua to die for us, to pay our debts, to do what we would never have been able to do. Thank you. Thank you for that. And Lord, I know I, for one, long for the day to see you face to face, to hug your neck, to wrap my arms around you, to smell the incense of the throne room, to feel the texture of your beard and just to be able to tell you how much I love you. I pray that all my brothers and sisters would know that feeling, would understand that. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do whatever you need to do tonight to get through to us, to change us, to transform us, and to conform us into the image of of his son. We pray for the technology. We pray a hedge of protection around us and all that we have. Pray you'd bless this time. The word would go forth. It would do what you desire it to do. Now, Lord, thank you. We bless you. We praise you. And we await to hear what you have to say in Yeshua's name. If you agree with me, say amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. Hopefully your Bibles are open, you're ready, you're prepared to receive. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. I'll be starting with verse 35 so that you know where I am in the chapter. 
Who shall ever separate us from the love of Messiah? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Just as it is written and forever remains written. For your sake we are put to death all day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors and gain an overwhelming victory through him who loved us so much that he died for us. That statement there is dealing with our eternal security. The doctrine of eternal security teaches us that our Heavenly Father, our Abba, Almighty God, will, can and will complete the good work of eternal life that He has begun in every believer. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I am convinced and confident in this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will continue to perfect and complete it until the day of Messiah Yeshua, the time of his return. You are a work in progress. Get that. Some of you are struggling with your failures. You're struggling with the trials and the tribulation. You don't understand. Good. Because you're a work in progress. You have not yet obtained what's coming for you. Paul says that in Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained it, this goal of being like Messiah, or have already been made perfect, but I actively press on so that I may take hold of that perfection for which Messiah Yeshua took hold of me and made me his own. So the first word I have for you tonight is press on. Paul says, I actively press on to completion. Actively press on, no matter what. If you trip up, you fall down, get up. Dust yourself off. Keep going. If you need help to get up, reach out. But press on. Our eternal security as a believer in Yeshua, a believer in Jesus of Nazareth, is guaranteed by him, by his blood, by the work of the Father through the Son. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. The contract has been confirmed and sealed. And because he is righteous and because he is just, He cannot deny himself. Therefore, if he's done it, it's done. And anyone who has eternal life has it forever. Which means no one can ever be separated from his love. Who dares to accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Messiah Yeshua died for us and raised us to life for us. He was raised to life for us. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading and interceding for us. Can anything ever separate us from Messiah's love? doesn't mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. No, as the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We're being like slaughtered like sheep. Of course, we don't understand that in the West, but our brothers and sisters around the world do. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Messiah who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or or our worries about tomorrow, 
Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. That means nothing in the heavenlies and nothing in the pit. Nothing angelic, nothing fallen angelic, nothing demonic. Nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Well, does that mean we won't have any more problems once we get saved? No, just the opposite. I hate to burst your bubble. This is the tough walk in a fallen world. But he warned us of that in John sixteen thirty three. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In the world you will have tribulation. But he started out that statement by saying, These things I have spoken to you. What things? We have to back up to verse 12 in John 16. He's speaking to his disciples, but he's speaking to us as well. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Of course, he's talking about the death and the resurrection, but he's also talking about the second coming. He was preparing them and us for living in a fallen world with an enemy seeking to destroy them. Let me say that again. He was preparing us for living day to day in a fallen world with an indigenous threat, an enemy that wants to destroy us. But no matter what, Nothing can separate you from God's love because of grace. Grace, unmerited favor with God. That's what keeps you connected to him. And because of that, you're walking free right now if you're born again. But there's another thing about grace that we're going to talk about tonight. Grace is not an excuse to sin. Oh, I said the word. The concept of sin and its effect on the life of a believer is an avoided topic in the church today. Yet the Bible is clear on the subject. We live in a fallen world. Either you conquer sin or sin will conquer you. This is so important that normally I record every week, and of course I am way behind on getting them edited and up, and I apologize for that. But as I sat down here prepared to set up the webcam, turn on the lights, do everything I do, this sudden seriousness came over me, that I could not be distracted by that. That this topic was so important. I couldn't be distracted by all those things. You'll have the audio, and then once I post the video with the scriptures, you'll have that. But the point is this. We need to talk about this. Yes, we are believers, as believers, are dead to sin and alive to God. But there's a catch. What shall we say to all of this? Should we continue in sin and practice sin as a habit? so that God's gift of grace may increase and overflow? Certainly not. How can we, the very ones who died to sin, continue to live in it any longer? 
or are you ignorant of the fact that all of us have been baptized into Messiah Yeshua, were baptized into his death? We have therefore been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Messiah was raised from the dead through the glory and the power of the Father, we too might walk habitually in newness of life, abandoning our old ways. For if we have become one with him, permanently united in the likeness of his death, will we also certainly be one with him and cheerfully in the likeness of his resurrection? We know that our old self, our human nature without the Holy Spirit, was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For the person who has died with Messiah has been freed from the power of sin. That's Romans 6, verses 1 through 7. Romans 6, Paul stated, because he was being accused in his teaching of grace of presenting a gospel where people were free to sin. I'll address that later, but I wanted to point that out so you remember it. Grace justifies the believer. It makes us free from the guilt of sin. It makes us blameless so that we may have eternal life. That word baptize is the transliteration of the Greek baptizo, which means to submerge an object into liquid. In this passage, Messiah and his blood become the liquid, metaphorically. And those who are baptized into him remain in him forever and benefit from his experiences, the cross, his death, and his resurrection. And that's the best news, that Yeshua was resurrected. He's not a dead prophet. He's a living Savior. And that we as believers experience that resurrection through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Spirit that raised Yeshua from the grave is inside of you. And even now, as believers, we live out that resurrection. We live with new lives. Paul talks of the walk in the newness of life and in relationship with our Abba Father and in relationship with one another. But that soaking, that immersion into the liquid reminded me of Luke twenty four forty nine, which Yeshua told the disciples, Behold, I send the promise of my Father, who is the Holy Spirit, upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high, until the power is soaked into you like dye into a garment. Now, if that's the case, and I believe that it is, I know that it is, why do we still struggle with our fleshly nature? And I understand why people don't want to hear the book of Romans. First of all, I understand why the the world doesn't want to hear it, because it talks about sin. It talks about the sin in the world. It talks about the sins of the world. Oh, people don't want to hear that. Tell me good stuff. Tell me about all the blessings. Tell me about the prosperity. Well, guess what? Those things are there, but you can't have them unless you're walking in right relationship with him. So let's go back to Romans 6. I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. And we're going to get a little specific here. And if you get uncomfortable, I'm sorry. If you feel like I'm stepping on your toes, then look down and see the foot that's stepping on it might have a hole through its ankle, the scar of one. But we need to talk about this. The enemy's having too much fun, and it's been too easy for him to torment the body. It's been too easy for him, and I say him collectively, not just Hasidon, but all the fallen and all the demons, the kingdom of darkness. It's been too easy for them to trip us up. It's been too easy for them to bring corruption into the church. It's been too easy for them to destroy marriages through adultery and sin and pornography and all the things that destroy the home. It's been too easy for them to inspire men and women to walk away from families, abandoned families. It's been too easy for them to convince people to kill babies in the womb and hack them up into little pieces so that they can be sold. 
If that doesn't bother you, if that doesn't grieve you, if that doesn't rile up your spirit, something is wrong. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust and passions. Do not go on offering members of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but offer yourselves to God in a decisive act as those alive raised from the dead to a new life. In your members, all of your abilities sanctified, set apart as instruments of righteousness yielded to God. For sin will no longer be a master over you, since you're not under the law as slaves, but under unmerited grace as recipients of God's favor and mercy. What then are we to conclude? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under God's grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that when you continually offer yourselves to someone to do his will, You are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either slaves of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness, which is right standing with God. But thank God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient with all your heart to the standard of teaching in which you were instructed and to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become the slaves of righteousness, of conformity to God's will and purpose. Remember that phrase, God's will and purpose. I am speaking in familiar human terms because of your natural limitations, your spiritual immaturity. For just as you presented your bodily members as slaves to impurity and to moral lawlessness— leading to further lawlessness, so now. Offer your members, your abilities, your talents as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, that is, being set apart for God's purpose. Paul is writing to the church. The Bible is not a book to the world. It's a book to his children. He's talking about sin in the church. He's talking about believers who are not conforming to God's will and purpose in their life. Yes, Yeshua came to set us free. But we then have to walk in that freedom. There's three kinds of sanctification mentioned in the New Testament. Positional sanctification based upon the death of the Lord. Every believer is a saint and is holy before God. Every believer is a saint. It's not something you're chosen to be or labeled by a specific religious denomination. We are all saints and called to be holy before God. The believer is set apart for God and, in some instances, set apart for God's specific purpose. Hebrews 10.10, and in accordance with this will of God, we who believe in the message of salvation have been sanctified, that is, set apart as holy for God and his purposes, through the offering of the body of Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua, once and for all. Verse 14 of Hebrews 10, for by the one offering he has perfected forever and completely cleansed those who are being sanctified, bringing each believer to spiritual completion and maturity. Verse 29, how much greater punishment do you think he will deserve, he or she, who has rejected and trampled underfoot the Son of God and has considered unclean and common the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and has insulted the Spirit of grace who imparts the unmerited favor and blessing of God? So that's positional sanctification. Then you have practical sanctification, which is a progressive process, which means we're growing in righteous living. We are maturing spiritually. That's what Romans 6.13 says. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, 
Give yourselves completely to God, for you are dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. And I believe he's both talking individually and corporately. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.3 gives us a deeper understanding of this battle that we're in. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua, comes again. Spirit, soul, and body, that's what you are. And if the soul or the body, which we know the spirit comes from him, if you're born again and his spirit's inside of you, that spirit's from him. But your soul and your body, if any of that is not sanctified, set apart, the enemy will take advantage of it. And it'll start out slowly. It'll start out simply. A little bit of disobedience. A little bit off one degree. And it'll keep opening the crack and opening the crack and opening the crack until it can get in and hook on. And the enemy will attach either the soul or the body or both. If you give it an open door invitation, the enemy's going to come in. This is how of the hundreds of deliverances I've done over the last 33 years, and when I say hundreds, I mean multiple hundreds, the majority of them were people that were sitting in a pew somewhere that had confessed Jesus as Lord, but had a part of their life that had become so out of control, the enemy was in control. And they needed help to have that broken free. Were they possessed? No. Have I dealt with possessed people? Yes. But they were oppressed and they were attached to the point that they were no longer in control. And I know that there will be people that will tell you, that's impossible, a Christian cannot have a demon. Well, first of all, check your religious spirit at the door. Second, then tell me how how, how it is so, first of all, that all these people I ministered to, whether they had some form of addiction, alcohol, nicotine, pornography, drugs, whatever it was, or they had some besetting sin they could not stop themselves from doing, adultery, lying, fornication, stealing, things that they wanted to stop, but they couldn't. How is that the case? How do we have so many Christians in counseling because there's a part of their life that they cannot control? Are they not saved? Well, some of them probably are not. They're not born again. But many others have had parts of their life that have not been sanctified and have not been set free. This topic of sin is so important that Paul mentions it 54 times in Romans. It must have been important. It must have been important to the church in Rome at that time. It's important to us now. There are people sitting in pews, benches, chairs, stadiums, wherever, in bondage. And they're not getting any help. The message coming from the pulpit is not setting them free. The music coming from the stage is not anointed and is not setting them free. There's nothing causing conviction in their life so that they can say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Who's going to help me? I don't want to do what I'm doing. That means there's something in me doing that. That's what Paul said. If I do what I don't want to do, then it's not me who does it, but sin in me. We've been told, 1 Peter 1.16, the scriptures say, you must be holy, which means set apart, because I am holy. He was set apart. You can't do it in and of yourself. The Holy Spirit does it with you, but not for you. Let me say that again without my voice cracking from 
allergies. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit will do it with you, but he won't do it for you. And then finally, the third sanctification, the one we all yearn for, the one that will solve all of our problems, is the ultimate sanctification. When we get our glorified body and the two become one, and there's no more separation between spirit, soul, and body, it's just all him, and we stand before God. But this concept of grace, I got saved in October of 88, moved to Tallahassee in 1990, and there was a thing that hit the church, this message of grace, grace, all is grace. And the pendulum swung so far into grace that there was no more sin. There were no more commandments. There was no more anything wrong. You couldn't do anything wrong. It's all under the blood. We're hearing that again today. The messages on social media, on YouTube about these new young prophets, prophets, P-O-R-O-F-I-T-S, false teachers who are teaching this. God is a God of love. A God of love would not condemn you to hell. And he's right. A God of love sent his son, so that wouldn't be your choice. But there was something that came out in the time of Martin Luther. It was called antinomianism. It was Martin Luther made up that term. He could have chose a shorter one, but what it meant was it was a thinking that allowed Christians to live in sin because of the freedom of grace. Remember, grace, grace, all is grace. I can sleep with somebody I'm not married to. I can do the drugs. I can go to the the places I know I'm not supposed to go, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't come in with me, but I'm covered. The concept that since grace saved you, you you no longer have any moral obligations to the law, and the Ten Commandments are no longer necessary. Romans 6 was Paul's response to that accusation in his day, but in Martin Luther's day, there was a heretic, second-century heretic, named Marcion, M-A-R-C-I-O-N, if you want to look it up. And he believed that the Old Testament and most of the New Testament was corrupted not to be followed. The New Testament God was a God of love and grace, but the Old Testament God was strict and judgmental. Surely they couldn't be the same God. I've heard this presented to me by people that I know that do not believe that hell is real. Jesus never talked about hell, even though he did. It's never mentioned in the Bible, though it is. The confusion got created when they wrote the King James Bible. They took multiple terms for the underworld and all those places and put it into one word. And I believe the enemy inspired that to create confusion. The lake of fire, talked about. Eternal judgment, talked about. But this heretic actually wrote his own Bible because he believed the God of the Old Testament was an evil creator God that Jesus came to destroy. So he just wrote his own Bible. Basically eliminated everything except for Luke and Paul's writings unless it had an Old Testament quote in it. Now, he's the extreme, but then Martin Luther had another problem close to home. One of his collaborators, Johann Agricola, took the by grace alone through faith alone, the foundational truth of of Luther's proclamation, and he said, maybe we should take this a little further. If legalism is the problem, then grace is the solution. Wouldn't it make sense to stop preaching about commands like the Ten Commandments? And I see comments like this on social media every day. Agricola went, those are Old Testament laws. They were wiped away by Messiah Christ's sacrifice. So sin's no longer a problem. It was all forgiven. He had such a distaste that he publicly stated this. 
The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, belongs in a courthouse, not in the pulpit, and to the gallows with Moses. I bet he had a surprise when he died. So Agricola and his followers were against anti-the-law nomos, so Luther coined the term antinomianism and actually wrote a book entitled Against the, Ant- Against the Antinomians to Counter Their Heresy. Folks, this is nonsense. The Lord said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Is the law in effect? Absolutely, for all the people that are still living in sin. We should not be living under the law because we've been set free. But that doesn't mean we're set free from the guidelines. Sin matters. And therefore, the guidelines and the rules of the kingdom matter. Because if God's laws and standard don't matter, then sin doesn't exist because there's no measurement to show us what is sin. And this heresy, and that's what it is, denies the very salvation, the very reason Yeshua died to anybody who tells me this nonsense. I ask them, then, why did he have to die on the cross? Why did he have to be the sacrificial lamb? Why did he have to shed every drop of blood? And they come up with some nonsense response, and you realize how far the spirit of deception has taken them. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship created in Messiah Yeshua for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Works, walking, active. Colossians 1.10, That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Faith without works is dead. What does that mean? If I don't do something with this faith that he's given me, if I don't do something with what he's done for me, then it's worthless. So we walk a path of grace, avoiding the pitfalls of both legalism and antinomianism. We're we're walking this narrow path, and on either, either side of us are these pits that are real easy to fall into. And that pendulum of grace goes from the middle over to legalism back into the law and then swings back to the middle and goes all the way over to where nothing's wrong and nothing's a sin. And both errors avoid being responsible to a loving God. Because if we as believers, if we as born-again believers in Jesus, in Yeshua, if we fail to serve God our Father, if we do any of the things that Paul talks about here, we may not lose our salvation, but we will lose the rewards that he offers to those who do what they need to do. You don't believe me? Go to 1 Corinthians 3. Start with verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, Paul says, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed to how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid. Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua, Hamashiach, He is the foundation. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day, meaning the day of the Lord, will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and he should have said, holy fire. And that fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's works, which he builds on, endures, he will receive a reward. Well, the only thing that survives the fire in that example is gold and silver and precious stones. Wood, hay, and straw will get consumed. The believer will be saved by faith. But those who in love and gratitude to the Lord for what he's done for them, those that will 
serve him faithfully, and do what his word says will be rewarded for their obedience. Love is obedience. The Lord said, if you love me, obey my commandments. So let's go back to, I, I quoted you a section of Romans before against this sin thing. And now you may be sitting there thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me, Richard. I don't do any of the horrible sins you mentioned. If you do anything that is not of his will, if you do anything in disobedience, if you do anything where you know to do right, you don't do what's right, it's called sin. Disobedience is sin. So don't start to think a little sin, big sin. I grew up with that in the Catholic Church. You had mortal sin. Oh, my gosh, you'll burn forever. And then you had venial sin. Well, just go pray. Say 72 Our Fathers, 46 Hail Marys. Hop on one leg and you'll be saved. No, sin is sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. Now, Paul speaking here. And he's talking personally to the church in Rome in chapter 7. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to form. My will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. He's saying, I want to do right. But in my flesh, in my soul, the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will that I don't want to do, I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. How many times have you said something, done something, acted out in anger or malice, did something you knew was immediately wrong, repented, and then thought to yourself, why do I do that? Well, we can talk about programming. We can talk about internal wounds. We can talk about all the reasons why, but right now we're talking about what? The person that's got a pornography addiction, more than likely it was given to them, either passed down ancestrally or they were subjected to it or exposed to it as a child and has become part of their programming, so much so they can't stop themselves. Don't you think that all of these sex sites, all the things going on out there, members of the church are on them? There was that one site that went down. It was for adultery, something Madison. And when it finally went down and they came forward and they said a large number of their memberships were pastors because they had a besetting sin that they could not stop. They were not in an environment where conviction was so great that they sought help. And, of course, they were afraid for anyone to know about it. So if I don't understand my own actions, and if I'm baffled and bewildered by them, I don't practice what I want to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate yielding to my human nature, my worldliness, my sinful capacity, which is in my soul and my body. If I habitually do what I do not want to do, that means I not only agree with the law, I'm confessing that it's good, it's morally excellent because it's by the law, I know that this is a sin. So now, if this is the case then, and it's no longer I who do it, this disobedient thing which I despise, but the sin nature which lives in me. That means I know that nothing good lives in me, in my flesh, my human nature, my worldliness, my sinful capacity for the willingness to do good is present in me. But the 
doing of good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not want to do, but I practice the very thing that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want to do, I'm no longer the one doing it. It's not me that acts, but the sin nature that lives in me. Oh, Richard, you're born again. You don't have sin nature. Well, until I get this glorified body, until I get that perfect body, we have a problem. His Spirit's inside of me. I am born again, but there's always a battle in my flesh with the Spirit. We have been called as believers to glorify God, both in our bodies as well as our spirit, because they belong to Him, and this takes effort. Be sober-minded. Be sensible. Wake up from your spiritual stupor as you ought. Stop sinning. For some of you have no knowledge of God. You are disgracefully ignorant of him and ignore his truths. And I say this to your shame. But gee, I wonder who Paul's talking to. He's talking to the church in Corinth. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you of an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews three twelve through 13 So, if sin takes hold of your inner man or inner woman, whose power are you under? Well, we could say sin. That's what Paul said. He's laid out his case. Uh, who rules sin? Who rules the darkness? Are you getting it? Are you starting to see it? Why, I've done hundreds upon hundreds of deliverances, and many of them were in the church. We've been enabled to live a righteous life spiritually. But what happens if we become instruments of unrighteousness, of disobedience, of sin? What do you think happens? What do you think happens when you have a computer and you constantly put in Infected software, eventually that computer becomes unusable. What do you think happens if your tooth has a little bitty cavity because you're not brushing well enough and you're eating things you shouldn't eat, but it's just a little cavity. You can barely see it. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Hey, you know that cavity is getting a little bigger. You might want to stop doing what you're doing. Yeah, 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 I'll do that. Um, By the way, that little bitty cavity... It's now a really big one, and I'm going to try to fill it, the dentist's going to say. But i got to be honest with you, it may, it may not work. And then eventually, if you disregard this little bitty cavity and whatever's causing that sin, I mean whatever's causing that in the tooth, if you allow it to keep going unchecked, uncorrected, you're going to lose that tooth. Now, I did it something simple for you to understand that you can visualize because we've all been there. As you sat in the dentist chair and heard him say those things and wondered why you didn't do what you were supposed to do. But let's just apply that to sin. Rebellion, disobedience, anything that's against God's nature. Anything that causes us to rebel. We've been given a Holy Spirit to walk this walk. He's the parakletos. He's there to walk with us. He's there to encourage us. He's there to remind us of sin. Remember, conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. The purpose of conviction is correction. But eventually, if that goes uncorrected, the enemy gets involved, and here comes condemnation. If you're feeling condemnation over anything right now, any failure, anything going on, anything that's been revealed to you that you suddenly go, oh my goodness, how did I get here? If you're feeling overwhelming condemnation, that's the enemy. Put it under the blood. Repent. Do what's necessary to get right. Because we have an indwelling, depraved human nature. Turn on the news, you can see it. And it rebels against God. And Paul's telling the church, 
using himself as an example. I am carnal. I'm a creature of flesh. I've been born in sin. I'm captive to sin. And even though I've been redeemed, there are parts of me that just do what they want to do. And it's not me who does it, but there's a way out. There's a victory in Jesus. Messiah sets us free to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. The problem is our flesh, and in our flesh there's nothing good. The will wants to do good, but it can't get it done. You will be able to do nothing, and especially if it's gone so far that the enemy's in control. So when sin takes root, something else is in control. You go from a natural problem to a supernatural problem. And when you have a supernatural problem, it usually means it's gone so far that you need somebody's help. Now, I'm going to stop here because the Lord gave me so much today, I realized that it was going to cover too much. But I want to get to what I just said. If you're dealing with something that you just can't stop, it's a supernatural problem, and it's demonic, and it's called bondage. You can't put down that cigarette But it's a nicotine addition. It's in my body. Yeah, but the problem was it's no longer just a physical problem. It's a mental, emotional, spiritual problem, and you just can't stop. You don't want to stop, and that's a problem. If it's pornography, whatever the besetting sin is, whatever you've done, maybe you've been disobedient. Maybe you've lived a life of of spiritual naivete. You're spiritually naive. Well, that's, you know what, I, I just didn't know. Well, guess what? You put your head in the sand and your butt's up in the air. Sooner or later, you're going to come out of the ground and find a bunch of Satan's arrows in your butt because you've made yourself an easy target. Today is the day all that stops. Will you say no more? Hasatan, your angels, your demons, your kingdom no longer have access to me. I declare and I decree... I have made a mistake, but I am redeemed, and the blood will cover me. The name of Yeshua will set me free, and I can be set free. So that's how I want to end. I want to pray for you. I want to set this up for next week because we're going to keep going on this. This is really important because I see what the enemy is doing to the church at a time when the church needs to rise up, at a time when you're needed, at a time when your ability to walk in the power and the spirit and set people free is vital. You're fighting for your very lives. You've turned inward because you're fighting these things that have taken you over could be just a little thing. Remember, there are no little sins. Sin is sin. Sin is rebellion. Sin is anything contrary to God's will and God's word. So, Lord, I come to you now by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the spoken word, by the power of your name, by the power of everything that you've given us and put inside of us. I come as your representative to your children that are listening, and I speak to them and the full power of the Holy Spirit, and the full power of the throne room delegated to us. I speak to them, and I say, anything that is in them that is not of you must go. And if it's deeply rooted and deeply hooked, right now I plead the blood over that area, and I ask right now that hook be dissolved, and it be taken out gently, so that it gains no Victory on the way out. Lord, begin to stir them up. Begin to take that fire of the Holy Spirit. Begin to loosen things. Begin to rise it to the top so that you can just scoop it out. Because no more, Satan, no more demonic spirit, no more kingdom of darkness will you have free reign in the children of God. You've been put on notice. This is your eviction notice. You must go. In Yeshua's name. And if you agree with me, say amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, his glory, his Shekinah upon you right now and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grun. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.